Hello, and welcome to episode 153 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. If you are listening for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so grateful that you have decided to give this show a try. And also a special warm welcome to Carly A., Liz G., and Jean M. to the Modern Manager community. If you haven't yet checked out the benefits of membership, head on over to themodernmanager.com slash join to learn about the community that we're building and the additional resources and support available to help you be that rockstar manager with a thriving team. Now, today's guests are father and son duo Edgar and Peter Shine. Ed is Professor Emeritus of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Sloan School of Management. He is one of the original scholar practitioners in the field of organizational psychology and organizational development. He may be best known for expanding our understanding of organizational culture. His books, including Process Consultation, Organizational Culture and Leadership, Helping, Humble Consulting, and Humble Leadership, are translated and published worldwide, and his consulting and coaching has transformed leadership since the 1970s. His latest work, Humble Inquiry 2nd Edition, is co-authored with his son, Peter, and is an international bestseller. And I have to say that when I had the chance to interview Ed, I was so excited because I am a follower of his work. His son, Peter, is the co-founder and COO of OCLI.org. And prior to his role there, Peter was a strategy and corporate development executive at large and small technology companies in Silicon Valley. He is the co-author of the Corporate Culture Survival Guide, third edition, Humble Leadership, the fifth edition of Organizational Culture and Leadership, and the second edition of Humble Inquiry. The three of us have a wonderful conversation about humble inquiry, what it is, why it's important, and how to do it effectively. We talk about the humble component and the inquiry component and how together they become a magical combination that every manager and team can benefit from. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Peter and Ed. It is a pleasure to talk with you. I think you are the first father and son guests I've had on this show. So welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Like to be here. Thank you. So to start us off, you have a book, a new second edition now, all about humble inquiry. So maybe you could start by just telling us what is humble inquiry? I think it's an attitude and a way of talking. The The best explanation starts with history when I first wrote the original book, where I was really irritated by the fact that someone kept telling me stuff. And not only was this annoying, but the person telling me was wrong about most of what she was telling me. So I decided I had to write a book about how to ask instead of tell. And that was the first edition of Humble Inquiry, where the whole emphasis is, why are we so hooked on always telling people things when in fact we should be more curious, we should be finding out things. And I had experienced myself that when people inquire of me, I am more alive and more willing to help. So humble inquiry is a a new way of relating to people. And in the second edition, we've elaborated that and 
Peter will give more detail on that. Yeah, so I, I just, to add a couple things, one, in the preface of the book, we really tried to connect the idea of humble inquiry to this sort of broad condition that we're in, in the U.S., and really this is globally, where the idea of facts being our facts versus their facts, ideas being our ideas versus their ideas, and in that focus on the the content, we miss what's really going on. So the point of about humble inquiry is to try to, um, through asking and drawing people out by what we like to say, asking questions for which you do not know the answer, we start to get a sense of what's really going on. And so it, it isn't just about the content of our situation or of our strategic decision or of our interaction. It's about the context of what's really going on. So we created a, this actually isn't in the book, but we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully this will tease folks' interest in the book, a little sort of a, a framework for how to, to kind of remember what humble inquiry really means. And so the first thing is it starts with motivation that you deeply care what is going on with another person. And if you don't care, then maybe, you know, humble inquiry isn't appropriate. Maybe it doesn't matter at that point in time. But if you're in a meeting with people that you work with and you're dependent on each other, then you, the, that assumes that you care at some fairly deep level about that other person. And it also suggests that you're motivated by a, a deep curiosity to learn more. And again, if you're not curious, if you're sort of your mind is set, then the humble inquiry attitude is not yours. And uh, some people are going are gonna to work that way. But generally, we think that given the sort of complexity that we're all facing, that motivation that starts with caring and curiosity is sort of the first thing to remember. The second thing to remember is that you are actively intervening in a process, in a, in a decision-making process, in a management process or a leading process. So while it is, you know, just conversation, it is also, in, it is also an intervention. So it starts with asking instead of telling, as, as Ed was implying. We all know a lot. We're always sort of, we're, we're brought up to sort of let people know what, what we know. But this is really, a, it, it's, a, it's a tough process to learn, but you start with asking rather than telling. And then you transition to a, maybe what's maybe a trick, even deeper, harder process deep listening where instead of saying, you know, yes, and then interjecting something that you know, you continue to draw the other person out, really focusing on deep listening. I had an experience um, a few years back working in a large technology company of a colleague. He wasn't a manager, but he was somebody that I needed to create an alignment with who would literally not say a word. I would just keep going and going and going. 
And he was very good at deep listening, but it also suggested to me there was something really powerful in his not saying anything. By him telling me something, that would have given me either something to disagree with, or it would have given me some power in the, in the, in the conversation. But by him not saying anything, he was much more effective in drawing me out in getting me to share what I knew. So and the last thing is that as part of this humbling pre-attitude is the idea that you are contributing to moving the discussion or the decision or the strategy forward. And that does require at a certain point that you're able to respond with empathy so that, again, you continue to draw the person out. You continue to sort of bring out what people know, you bring that out into the group or you bring that out into the discussion. And then the last point that's, you know, equally challenging, but also very gratifying is that you start to reveal a little bit about yourself. So this idea of you're expressing empathy to what they're saying, but you're also in a way engaging more deeply by revealing a little bit more about yourself. It's a delicate dance, but that idea of motivation, intervention, and contribution in those ways of caring, of asking, and, and revealing are really what's the, the, the sort of the broad strokes of the humbling free attitude. I'll pick up on that by just giving one major example that just quickly illustrates all three levels. And that is of a, a submarine captain taking over a troubled nuclear submarine and getting all his chief petty officers into the room together and saying, I'd like to know what you folks think about what's wrong with this submarine and what we need to do. He cared very much for them and the submarine but he knew that he needed their information. They, of course, initially didn't believe him, but his body language, his tone said, no, I, I am ignorant. He admitted his own ignorance. I don't know the submarine. You guys live in it. Tell me what's wrong. Gradually, they opened up, and it created an incredible improvement process over time. So I love what this framework is all about. and. I want to go back to this asking and not telling piece because that was the thing that initially drew me to this concept as I started learning about it. And there was specifically a series of questions in the book. And I think this relates to how the this captain came and said, you know, tell me what's wrong and help me understand, as opposed to some questions that we might be used to asking, right? And just in a general frame of inquiry or things like, is this the problem? where we're asking a question, but really we're telling someone something. So can you maybe just explain more about like the difference between questions that fall into this humble inquiry category and questions that fall into other kinds of questions category, or maybe these kind of asking, but really we're telling them something questions? I'll start on that because I think it is a, a crucial point that people think that anything in the form of a question is okay. 
And of course, that's not the case because we are very good at asking rhetorical questions, questions that really reveal what we want to do. So we have a whole chapter in the book, in this new book, that tries very sharply to differentiate what the submarine captain did based on true ignorance and curiosity and what a coach or a manager will often do the subordinate, uh, the direct report comes in and says, boss, I've got a, a problem with this production line. It's broken down again. And the boss believes that she knows that this is because somebody screwed up. So she says very sincerely, well, tell me uh, who the problem is, because we're going to have to discipline them. And she thinks that's an honest question. Whereas the direct report knows that it's the machine that broke down, no one was at fault, and he's now got a problem of how to deal with the bosses asking basically a loaded question, a question that was based on the boss thinking she knew what was going on, and it makes the conversation very awkward. So humble inquiry in her case if she's the kind of boss who has the humble inquiry attitude, would be to say, tell me what's going on. Why are you here? What's on your mind? And not assume that she knows what the direct report's answer is going to be. Because she really truly doesn't know. But the temptation to let one's own insight I know this person, I know where they work, I know the situation, I know exactly what they're going to say, we think, and then we screw up by letting what we think become the topic of the question, rather than truly saying, tell me what's going on. We have a, a great case of another military person, and they're, they're the people we think of least likely to do this. But an admiral who was running a, a big nuclear aircraft carrier, there was an incident on the deck where a plane almost flew off because the brakes didn't work. Some uh, low-level seaman had not set the brakes properly or something. So it became a big incident. And the admiral said, send that person up to my suite on the top deck. And, of course, people said, whoa, you know, he's really going to get it. So we heard this story from the admiral later. I asked him to come up there because I really was puzzled how such an accident could happen. So when he arrived, I asked him, can you just take me through the story from beginning to end? What did you do? What happened? What did you then do? Because I'd like to understand how we can do better in this kind of situation. That story got through the ship quickly as, hey, we've got a different kind of boss here, a boss who's not out to punish, but a boss who's out to understand. That's humble inquiry. That was such an amazing story and, and shows the power of you know, asking one question can totally change the emotional tone of the conversation. It can change the culture of how others see you as their leader. I mean, that's, that's the power of, of asking the right kinds of questions at the right moments. And it, it sounds like there's a real link between 
humble inquiry and building psychological safety. Can you maybe speak to to that link? Well, yes, and but I want to start with just sort of noting a couple things that we've thrown out the terms humble and ignorant and a bunch of things <laughs> uh, this this sort of putting you know that that sound like putting yourself down and sound like you're in, endowing the other party or the 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 other people in the room with much more power than you have yourself and I, so i do i do just sort of want to quickly qualify what we mean by those so humble you know, may well be a personality trait that some of us have and some of us don't. But in our case, we we want to think of it just as as something that's situationally relevant. So you enter a situation and you embrace the fact that you don't have the the answers. And especially now, you know, we use the term VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Because that's this that's the world we live in. Um, if we if we still believe in a tidy, orderly world, I you know, I'll go there any day, but I don't think that's the world that the three of us live in. So um the the point being it's this idea of here and now humility, meaning I don't have the answers, and it's our collective responsibility to try to get to the answers. So that's what that's what we mean by humble whether or not that personality a trait a trait applies and then the the point about ignorant is again this is something that we cringe at at sort of admitting that we might be and we might think of ourselves as ignorant in the situation but it really just means that there is more information to be garnered to be sort of acted on and so we have to sort of embrace the fact that we are ignorant in that context. So the and then the point about psychological safety is that um, we view the sort of the the most central concept around relationships at work is that if they're based on openness and through that openness a trust relationship develops between you know, equal members of a group or between a VP and a, and a frontline supervisor, between whatever level in the organization, if that trust relationship is there and it's, again, it's based on and it's reinforced by a degree of openness to share information with each other, that's another way of describing psychological safety. Or that's the the sub substrate of psychological safety. So, Ed, do you want to comment on that more? Yeah, it, it reminded me of the cartoon long time ago in the, in the New Yorker, where the boss brings a subordinate in and says, "Now I want you to tell me exactly what you think of me, even if it costs you your job." <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the whole idea is that's bad management. What can the boss do that would actually invite a difficult conversation from the subordinate that would make the subordinate feel safe? And I think our notion is both parties have to kind of work to build a relationship 
what we think of as a level two relationship where people are interested in each other and want to get to know each other and avoid what is what this other boss in the cartoon displayed is it's just two roles. I'm the boss and you're the subordinate. And we maintain psychological distance between us because that's comfortable and that's how the world works. I think our fundamental argument is that may have been the way the world worked at one time. And the fact that people felt insecure to tell the boss what was wrong and uh, even criticize the boss was taken for granted as the way things are. And that's tragically that distancing and not being safe in each other's presence is what leads to unethical behavior, lying, cheating, and all the problems that organizations develop because communication, especially negative communication, doesn't flow upward. And the reason it doesn't is because the boss has not used humble inquiry to invite truth and trust. And how do you build that? You, you build it by experimenting with saying, tell me what's really going on, like this admiral did. And the young sailor saying, well, here's what, did, what happened. And the admiral saying, that's very interesting. I'm glad you told me. In other words, reward the upward communication. That's how you would build psychological safety. I'm so glad that you said that last piece around rewarding and and saying thank you, because I feel like that's a place where a lot of managers can get stuck is we we ask the question, but then as soon as we hear the answer and it's not what we want to hear, we know we get a little bristled. And so reminding ourselves that it's both asking questions and then being prepared for whatever the answer to be, to be generous in our response. I want to elaborate one point on that, because reward may just mean acknowledgement. In in my consulting, the worst situation I encountered is when, for example, employees uh, in, in an electrical organization said, we would see problems down in, in the actual operations. And I, as a consultant, would say, did you tell your boss? And said, yes, we did. And then you, you hit a moment of silence and you say, I said, what happened? And the employee said, well, the boss seemed to listen, but he basically said, yeah, 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 and dismissed it. And so I stopped telling him stuff. So a lot of bosses think just listening is enough. And that's why I use the word actually rewarding, acknowledging. I hear you. We're going to do something about it. So if I'm buying into this whole humble inquiry thing, which I personally am, and I hope everyone who's listening is as well, and I'm thinking, okay, so how do I use this with my team members? How do I go into my virtual office tomorrow and stop asking leading questions or stop myself from having that kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm listening, but not really kind of mode. Like what are, what are the tips or the tricks for people who really want to transform how they interact with their colleagues, whether it's in a one-on-one setting or a group setting? Well, so I, I want to add one idea. And in the, in the book, we sort of give a typology of different kinds of inquiry. And one of the 
kinds of inquiry that I have found is, is very powerful is to sort of recognize that there are, are questions about the process of our interaction that can be interjected to sort of, you know, get through a log jam or to, you know, mitigate a disagreement or to kind of, to kind of shake us up a little bit, to get us out, out of the box. And so those are questions like, you know, at some point you might just say, well, let's stop and ask ourselves, you know, is this working? Are we making progress? It, it sort of, again, it takes us away from the content, the kind of the heavy duty stuff on the agenda and moves us into a more, you know, maybe it's philosophical, but it's, it's, it's also more sort of future seeking in the sense that if we train ourselves to be willing to ask, how's this going? Are we getting to where we need to get to need to be? Uh, it, it, it takes us out of that frame of the agenda, the, what we like to refer to in our culture books as the technical culture. And it gets us more into the social culture of how's it going? How are we relating to each other? Because that's going to pay dividends the next time you're in a, at an impasse or a logjam. One example would be the boss walking in and saying, as you all know, at our last meeting, uh, we decided to, to do such and so. Uh, looking back on it, how do people today feel about how we made that decision? Period. I love that. Force what Peter referred to as this process out in the open. And I think any boss can do that anytime. They can start the meeting with how are we doing instead of starting with the formal agenda. But it's it's not popularly taught. You know, the my observation about the history of management in the US is this kind of group stuff, how to ask a question. It was never taught in the, in the business school that, that I lived in for 50 years, except in my course or similar courses. The idea of, of actually teaching relationship building and group management is almost non-existent in our educational system. I completely agree, which is why I have this podcast. I mean, that, that to me is... It, this is such important stuff, right? Like the work that managers do every single day to build relationships with their team, to help cultivate people, right? To to inquire and find information and draw people out and make group decisions, like all of that, it is not easy. And we need to have practices like Humble Inquiry. We need to have teachers who are helping us understand how to apply these models and these approaches into our everyday behavior, because that is how work gets done. That's how we can do our jobs well. It's how we can make work a place where everybody comes and gets to be their best self and their full self. So I am so glad that we're having this conversation. And I'm so sad that we are now at the end of our time because there's so much more we could talk about. But as you know, the show is called The Modern Manager. So can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person so special? Well, I, I will start just most of my career was spent in Silicon Valley. And, you know, Silicon Valley has always had this interesting tension between 
the sort of the management trained leaders and the technical leaders. And generally there's sort of uh, um, the, the centers of gravity were the technical leaders. So for me, I worked at Apple a long time ago and I had a manager who was very deep and talented and skillful technically and really could have been sort of managing his career as that, but it just wasn't what he cared about. He knew that he could be that, but what he cared about was the, the people that worked for him. And it was just, it, it just was obvious in everything that he did. Again, he could have been a great technical leader and he probably would have been rewarded richly at a company like Apple or anywhere else in Silicon Valley. But no, he was motivated and he was engaged and he was, you know, I think he grew his own sort of personal strength from the strength and the, the, the engagement and the happiness of the people around him. This was a guy who clearly knew how to get out of his own way to sort of leave his ego at home and come into work saying, what, what's more important to me is that the people around me are feeling fulfilled at work. My quick version of that would be when I came to MIT uh, as a social psychologist, the head of my department, Douglas McGregor, had been there. I asked him for the notes of the previous teacher who had taught this course, and McGregor said, no, no, no. I'm not going to give you those notes. We hired you to figure out what to teach managers. That's why you're here. And that paradoxically could be thought of as both tough love and humble inquiry. Those are both such great stories. So can you now wrap us up by telling us where people can learn more about you and your work and where they can get your book? Yeah, I'll just go quick. Our, our little organization, which is really just a, a father-son partnership, is the Organizational Culture and Leadership Institute, which is a big fancy name for our little partnership. And so ocli.org is our website, and you can contact us through that. And that has information about some of the different books we've written and some of our projects and our passions. The Humble Inquiry second edition just started shipping from Amazon and other online sellers, and maybe it's in bookstores, but who, who of us have been to a bookstore lately? Uh, <laughs> so that's, it's available now and, um, you know, in Audible, Kindle, you know, paperback, uh, all through Amazon or wherever you buy your books. It's a, it's a, 130 page paperback, very accessible. And um, I, I want to give one other additional plug. And that is that we've, we've talked about a set of skills that seem, you know, sort of obvious, but also really difficult. And at the end of the book, we put in a series of exercises that we think will help people in kind of going through the drill of, you know, sort of fighting the impulse to tell what kinds of questions to ask and and just to sort of start getting familiar with the process and the vocabulary. Thank you both so much for sharing your many years of experience and your wisdom with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Our pleasure. Fun to be with you. What an amazing father and son. 
Peter and Ed have generously offered 10 signed copies of their book, Humble Consulting, to members of the Modern Manager community. This book is particularly focused at client-facing roles and consultants, but the lessons are applicable even beyond those. To get a copy, you need to be a member and one of the first 10 people to request it. To join, go to themodernmanager.com join. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.